Now, today I want to talk about the three C's of co-laboring. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, and I'll read the text after I pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come honor, honorably and, and we come objectively to your word today. And we come uh, with the idea that, Lord, change me with your word. Father, we come and we ask that you give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Give us winsome speech, Lord. Father, give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word. And Father, we just believe that as we come today, Father, that you'll, ch you'll change us. Father, you'll renew our mind. Father, you'll let faith spring up. Father, we know faith does three things. Faith comes. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith speaks with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And faith grows. And Thessalonians, it says, your faith groweth exceedingly. Like a little seed from a mustard seed to a mighty oak and a mighty tree. And Father, we pray that those changes take place in us now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you're not there, 1 Corinthians 3. And we're going to look at 9. And we're going to talk about co-laboring, the three C's. Everybody say, the three C's of co-laboring. We're not talking about the Atlantic and the Pacific and, the, you know, we're not talking about those C's. We're talking about the three C's, the letter C's, three C's of co-laboring. Now, let me, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. For we are laborers together with God. Wow. That's all we need out of that verse right there. And, and we've got plenty to preach just from that. We can preach on and on just about that, just being co-laborers together with God. You know, a lot of people think God is the doer and I'm the asker. But God is the one who asks, and we're the one who's supposed to do. God asks us to do the Great Commission, and we're supposed to do it. Now, we ask God to do what his word says. You know, we know in 1 John 5 and 14, this is our confidence. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, and we know that right, right there, that thing right there is his will, that Bible. That's his word. That's his will. If we ask anything according to that Bible, his word, we could say we're asking according to his will. There's nothing in there that isn't his will. All the promises are mine. Every promise, every jot, every tittle, every line. Every bit of it is God's will. And this is a confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him, it says in 1 John 5, 14. We can know his will, and we can begin to do it. His will is before us at all times, and we've got to begin to do it. Now, that is his general will. Within the general will of God will be found the specific will for your life. Within the general will of God, you know, soul winning, praying, uh, keeping the Sabbath holy, tithing, doing the things that God says to you, loving your neighbor, all these things, that's the general will of God. Within the general will of God will be found the specific will for your life. You can't find the specific will of God for your life until you start endeavoring to do the general will of God for, his, for what he wants your life to be. When you do what he wants your life to be, you'll find out that's what you want your life to be. And so there's something very powerful about being that person as a co-laborer. See, he is our helper. He's not our doer. How many of you know the word paraclete? And it says that he's given us a, a helper. And that word paraclete means one called alongside the help, the comforter. And he's right beside us, the Bible says, in the agency of the Holy Spirit helping us daily. And so we can see that we are called to be co-laborers to God. 
Now, co-laboring with God, now if you go to the job site, and let's say you're a plumber, and, uh, and you know, you're going to a job site, you, you kind of need to know who the general contractor is, right? You need to know who uh, your employees are, right? You need to know who the guy who owns the place that's paying you is, right? You can't just go there unorchestrated in confusion and just jump in and start working. You, you need, I'm just going to put this pipe here and this pipe here and this pipe here. Wow, I made a pretty design. It's the shape of an S, you know. No, that's not how we go to work. You, you, got, you, got to have, you got to have some intelligent design behind it. Can I get an amen? That, that's what creationism is called now, intelligent design. You got to have some intelligent design. You got to have the right way. You got to know who's in charge, who is over you, who is under you, and who is beside you. You know, in marriage, we know we, there's the relationship you have with your spouse, there's a relationship you have with your parents, there's a relationship you have with your children, there's a relationship you have with your siblings, and none of them are the same. Can I get an amen? Your relationship with your boss is not the same as the relationship you have with your subordinates. Your superior and your subordinates are two completely different relationships. There's a different relationship you have with your fellow workers. In the kingdom of God, you've got fathers that are over you. You've got fellows who run with you, run the race with you, beside you. And then you have followers that are under you, so to speak. And in co-laboring with God, we've got to understand the rank and file, the order, and the way that God has set this up for co-laboring. And I believe this, the success of any organization is based on understanding the biblical relationships of teamwork or co-laboring. That's where we get the word collaboration, is co-laboring. It's a biblical word. And there are a lot of parallels. You know, the coach, you need a coach, and you need players, but you better have a playbook. Can I get an amen? You have a pastor... And you need to have people, but you better have the pro biblical programs. In other words, the Bible put to programs or put to doing things. But you better have some programs that are biblical plans for the church to live out and walk out. Can I get an amen? So, so we've got to have three things. And in the bigger picture, in the more transcendent way of thinking of it, we need a visionary. We need vision runners, but we need that vision first and foremost above all. See, without the vision, it says, the Bible says without a vision the people perish. And I like to use the three C's and just call it, and some of you have heard these terms before, but it's not the same sermon. Uh, properly relating to each other in each of these creates a synergy that comes from a triunity. How many of you know God does things in a triune nature? He's very Trinitarian. You know, there's past, present, and future. There's height, depth, and width. There's proton, neutron, electron. There's liquid, gas, and solid. Uh, in everything God created, he kind of just made it through. There's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We're spirit, soul, and body. And we can go on and on with that. And, and we, we can just go on and on. But with any organization, there has to be a captain and a company and a commission. I'm going to use military terms because those are very easy to understand. There has to be a captain. There has to be a company of believers, and there has to be a commission. The captain is the visionary. He, he has to hear from God and lead the people. The company are the people that have to be willing uh, to follow the captain who God has given the vision to. Now, you don't follow this, just the person. You, you, you follow the office of God and the vision of God. Can I get an amen? No personality worship here. That's very prevalent in churches today, personality worship. Personality worship is a very wicked, it's a very sick, 
It's a very unhealthy thing. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I can say this, that if we're not careful, we can get into personalities and wind up. You know, Paul said I, that I'm not of Apollos and I'm not of Paul. We shouldn't be of people. We should be of the following the office of God and the vision of God and the word of God. Can I get an amen? That's very important that we don't fall into anything like that. And some churches tend to fall into that. And there really needs to be a clear understanding that when the visionary says, follow me, he's really saying, follow the vision of God and the office that I stand in, not me personally. That would be a warped thing. That would be a perverted thing. And so, we, we, but we can boldly say, follow me. Paul said, I exalt my office. Paul said that in Romans. He says, I exalt the office that I stand. And then he, but he abased himself. He says, you know, when it comes to sinners, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the chief sinner. He says, I, I screwed up more than anybody before I got saved. But then he says, but follow me as I follow Christ. And so there has to be a following of the coach. There has to be a, the, the following of the captain in the military. There has to be a following of the visionary, and there has to be vision runners, so to speak. Those are the followers. But then you got to have the vision. So we're going to talk about the commission. The commission is the God part. That's the vision. The vision is a key thing. That is from God. God gives vision. Proverbs 29.10 says, without a vision, the people perish. Without a direction, I always tell men, no, no wife wants to follow a husband that doesn't know where he's going. Let me say it again. No wife wants to follow a husband who does not know where he's going. It's really true. In America, men are denigrated and beat down and, and dumbed down to they think that they can't, they can't possibly lead. But let me tell you something. It's incredibly important that we learn how to lead men. Leaders need to lead. Somebody say amen. amen. Leaders don't need to be timid. They need to lead. It's important that we lead as men. And so, Proverbs 29, without a vision, the people... The vision gives direction corporately and individually because people's lives are connected to their corporate lives. Let me say that again. The vision gives direction corporately. That's all of us together. That's the whole ship that we're all on together. And it gives vision individually for each one of you, each one's oar. Did you know that the office of governments is in the Greek pilotage? That word governments is the word pilotage in the Greek. Pilotage, they didn't have airplanes in Paul's day. How many of you know that? Amen. So a pilot was the head of a ship, not a plane. And the pilot called out to the oarsmen, and he had a cadence, and, and he helped them keep in unison and coordinated and cooperated and, and all going the same direction at the same time, the same way. And so there is a coordinated effort. And the captain, or you could say the pilot, or you could say the visionary, or you could say the pastor, or you could say your boss, or you could say dad as the head of the household. Whoever that person who happens to stand in the office of leadership is, he's the captain. He needs to get things organized. He needs to get things going the right direction. And then most of all, he needs to know where we're going. I can't imagine getting in the car and not knowing where I'm going. And so we look at that, and it gives individual, it gives direction corporately and individually. Corporately for the ship, individually for the oarsmen. And individual lives are connected to their corporate lives. The individual rowing of that boat. If these guys on this side row less and these guys row more, how many of you know you'll take a left turn and you'll get off course? Your individual lives and the way you orchestrate it will determine the direction of the whole or the greater good that's connected, or the greater uh, group and the greater 
good, or let me say vision, or objectives that you have before you. It's so important to understand that. You know, the children of Israel are a great example of this. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, it's one body, but it has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The body has many members, just like that boat. It's one boat, but has many oarsmen. But it works together as a singular, functioning, well-oiled machine and a single entity going through the water. And the pilot needs to be guiding it. And the person who is, you know, the, the guy who is in, the, uh, you know, in an airplane, you, you better hope that he's not timid and he knows what to do and he makes, he makes definite calls when he's driving that plane. Can I get an amen? My good friend uh, who is on the family leaderboard, uh, Robert, he, he ran for U.S. Senate, and, and Robert uh, Kramer is his last name. He ran for U.S. Senate this last year, and he uh, was flying down to see his son. His son goes to school in, in Texas. Uh, I think it's in Wachahatchee at the Assembly of God Bible School down there. They're good Assembly of God brothers and sisters. And he uh, went down there and, in his plane, and he's got his own plane. And it was time to land, and his landing gear wouldn't come out. Well, you don't want to land on the belly of your plane. That, you can be upside down on fire and dead in just seconds. And so he doesn't want to land this thing. And he says, you know, he says, I took all the training. But he said, normally, you know, you don't think about it. And he said, I'm flying the plane and I'm circling the, I think it might even been the Dallas airport. And he says, and I'm trying to look for my manual in the glove box. And I'm trying to read it and figure out how to manually get the landing gear down. How'd you like to be doing that while you're flying the plane? And the gas gauge is going down the whole time. And so he's trying to figure it out. And, you know, I'm glad, he said, he said, but, you know, I had to not get nervous. How do you not get nervous if you feel nervous? <laughs> and he said, I had to not get nervous because he said, if I did, I would, you know how you can't think when you get nervous? Anyway, I get that way. If I got too nervous, I, I don't think straight. And he said, I had to keep my cool and I had to just be decisive and I had to read that and my co-pilot had to read it out loud to me. And he said, we finally figured it out, and we got that landing gear. And there was some manual things he had to open up. He had to pull some you know, metal cords or something. I can't remember what he said. But he finally, they manually got those, uh, those wheels and tires to drop down underneath the plane so they could land. I'll tell you what. The pilot has, has a lot of responsibility. And the children of Israel, you know, God, God will put responsibility on you. you know, one of the greatest models of vision is in Numbers 13, where God told the children of Israel, through the mouth of Moses, Moses was the vision, visionary guy, and he told Moses, he said, I give you the land. And he says, now I'm telling you, this land that flows with Moses, I'm telling you to send out 12 spies. That was the vision, was to take the land, but first send out the 12 spies. And last week I said the vision was to challenge our faith to do something we've never done before. How many of you know faith needs to grow? And what you could do with yesterday's faith isn't good enough. We've got to go on to something greater to challenge our faith. How many of you know those people who had been in Egypt for 400 years, they came out slaves. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any, how can I say, belongings. They didn't have any self-esteem. They didn't have any knowledge of how to do things except make brick. They didn't know anything. They, 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 they were just some really base people coming out of Egypt. They've been oppressed. 
uh, they had no self-esteem, no money, no, no direct. They didn't have anything. And God says, I'm going to give you this great land. I'm going to make you into great conquerors. How many of you know, for those people, that must have taken a lot of faith? I said, you're going to do what? I mean, conquer a bunch of nations? We, we, we're, we're a bunch of slaves. We don't, we don't know how to do any of that. We don't know anything about military. We don't know anything about anything. How are we going to do that? So number one, God challenges our faith. Then he changes our life. He brought the children of Israel out, and their life was going through a change. They were slaves, and now they are victorious over the most powerful nation on earth. Now they come out, and they're the richest people on earth because they gave them all the silver and gold out of Egypt, it says. Now they're the most, how can I say, the greatest destined destiny people on earth. They're going to conquer all the, the known world and, and be the wealthiest, most influential, most powerful people of God. Now they're the people of God. Their life is going to be changed. Their position is going to be changed. Their perspective is going to be changed. Their persona is going to be changed. Their position, they're not going to be slaves anymore. God brought them out and they're no longer slaves. Their perspective changed. Now they're God's delivered and blessed people. This is a whole different perspective. They saw themselves very differently, and they had a hard time seeing themselves that way. How many of you know that? And then their persona. Persona is what other people think of you, who, who that they view you as, or kind of their overall who that person is. And they, you know, if they would say, we'll go do it, if they were afraid to do it, it says the Bible says they would see themselves as grasshoppers, and so therefore their enemies would see them as grasshoppers. But if they would see themselves as victors and confident, conquering people, then their enemies would see them and fear them as victors like they did Joshua later on. And they had this big, huge change. So first of all, it was a challenge of their faith to do this. But then this, they had to go through this massive change in their position. They're no longer slaves. In their perspective... Now the relationship has changed. We just conquered the most powerful nation. Man, my, my perspective has changed. We're in a different, we're going to hold a new ball game now. we got a whole new set of objectives and opportunities now. And then thirdly, their persona of how other people see them. You know, when you get saved, all those three things change. Your position now, you're positioned in Christ instead of a child of the devil. Your perspective changed. Now your perspective is I'm a servant to God and and then persona, people look at you differently because they see you as a Christian. And so lastly, they were challenged in their faith, they were changed in their life, and they were championed in their obedience. God, when he did get a couple of guys that would agree with him, a couple that would believe that vision, Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to go into that promised land that flows with milk and honey. We're well able to take those walled cities. We're well able to take those giants. Let me at them. They went in, and praise God, they were, their obedience was champion. God made them win every battle except one when there was one rebel in the camp, and they got rid of him. They won every battle. They became the most feared people on earth. They became the most favored people on earth, the most famed people on earth, the most financially blessed people on earth. God championed them for
for their obedience. Somebody say amen. God will champion you when you uh, become obedient. He'll make you a champion in the eyes of everyone around you. He will bless your life. He'll change your life. He'll give you a new position, a new perspective, and a new persona. He's going to challenge your faith. He's going to change your life. He's going to champion your obedience if you'll follow through and do what he says. See, individually, Psalm 139.16, God has plans for us individually. Corporately, Jeremiah 29.11, it says, God knows the plans he has for us of good and not for evil. They don't conflict. The plan that God has for you individually fits into the, God, into the plan of God that he has for us corporately. Your oarsmanship is fully integrated into the bigger picture of the ship. And your oarsmanship will be rewarded and you'll find a place and it'll bring blessing to your life. They don't conflict. They complement each other. Individual vision divinely fits within the framework of the corporate vision one's life is part of. You know, I remember there was a, a young man that was on the, uh, went to Bible college at Rama Bible Training Center. He was part of the Rama Singers. He used to sing with Kenneth E. Hagan. Uh, that was a famous group that went all over the nation and sang in huge churches and huge auditoriums and huge venues and were doing huge things for God. His name was Jim Hockaday, and he was a Rama singer. And, and he said that it was interesting how that there was a bigger coordination of this whole thing. And they would travel in a bus, and they weren't allowed just to go willy-nilly nigh everywhere they wanted to go. They had to stay on the bus and stay on course. But Rama, in some great wisdom, what they had done is all the needs were planned in route to where they were going. In other words, the bigger picture was get this team to the big meetings and sing and bring praise and worship for the congregation for Brother Hagin when he would preach. But then their life's needs were met because they had... They had pre-planned every route to stop at barbershops, to stop at malls. You know, you'd think, well, just, you know, we just need to get some good, you know, motels and hotels. No, uh, uh, in route, they had coordinated and calibrated this whole thing so that as they traveled at a certain time of the month, they would, they would be able to stop and people would get their hair cut. They would be able to stop and go shopping and get a new shirt. They would stop and next places where they could get their dry cleaning and all their, all their clothes done. And everything was coordinated that as they were doing the bigger vision, all the needs of their life was getting taken care of. See, there's something about when we attach ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, God starts taking care of the sum total of the parts. And it's, and, it's, and it's an amazing thing how only, only God could do that with our lives. Can I get an amen? There's, I mean, only God can do that. In Habakkuk 2, we can see that the vision or the commission, which is the vision, is really powerful. It says in Habakkuk 2, 1, 2, Habakkuk was an individual who received the vision uh, for those who corporately would read it and run with it. I will stand upon my watch and I'll set upon the tower and I will watch to see what he will say to me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me, and individually he answered the, the one person, Habakkuk, and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he, that's corporally, may run that readeth. In other words, all the people that were part of it. God told Moses, take this and write it down, because it's written down in Numbers 13 that I give you the land. That's written down. That's in the Bible now. Somebody wrote that down. Make it plain, and he made it plain to the twelve, to run with this vision, to go check out the land, come back with a good report, be in faith, choose to be in faith, not fear. And then that faith is contagious, like it was of Joshua and Caleb in the next generation. 
It could be contagious, and you get all these people excited, and you can go in and take that land because I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you do it. But they came back in fear, and they discouraged the people, and none of them went in. But Joshua and Caleb stayed encouraged, and they took the next generation in that did not get infected with the unbelief and the fear. And they went in, and they took that land. Churches have to be like that. Businesses have to be like that. Everybody that does anything that takes a group effort is going to have to learn that co-laboring involves a vision, a leader, and the people to help carry out the vision. Can I get an amen? Amen. That, that That is universally true and universally applicable to every type of organization. Vision defines who truly are God's leaders and followers. In Numbers 12, God proves to Miriam that Moses is indeed the chosen leader, the one whom the vision is revealed through exclusively. And I believe this, uh, you know, and she says, now, doesn't God just speak to all of us about vision? And, and Miriam got a little bit bothered, like, you kind of act exclusive about this, Mr. Miriam. No, I'm not trying to be exclusive. It's just that God has revealed it to me. And God got mad, and he came down, and he said, you know what? Moses is the most meek man in all the world. Don't, don't say that he's trying to take on too much. He's the meekest man in all the world. It says that. And it says, absolutely, Miriam, he is the one that I have spoken to. And, you know, many seek God, but Moses has met with me face to face. And he said, absolutely, he's the one that I've spoken to. And then she was stricken with leprosy. And then after that, he went, Moses, good old Moses went, and he prayed for her, and she got healed. Read the story. It's Numbers 12. But here's the thing. It's so important that we understand that there can only be one central vision. Now, there may be subcategories of vision, like department heads. You know, there may be a vision for the youth group, but the vision of the youth group needs to fit under the vision of the bigger picture of the church. See, I always say this, and it's really true. Uh, your, your, if your vision competes with a leader's vision it will always equal or turn into division. If you, if you go to work and, and the boss comes and says, now we want to do our inventory like this and we're going to do this and I want you in charge of this, I want you in charge of this and this is the way we're going to do the inventory. And you say, well, I've done inventories before. I know how to do it better than him. And so I, you know, I've, got a, I've got a better way to do that. I've got a vision how to do the inventory. And, and then he either... He either submits to you, which gets a little bit upside down, or it gets divided, and some are doing it his way, and some are doing it your way. But any time that his vision and my vision go two different directions, it'll create division. So that's why it says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? See, one thing when you're, when you're in, I don't care if it's your business, I don't care if it's a church, I don't care if it's a football team, I don't care what it is, if you get two division, two excuse me, visions, it'll end up being division. So always stay with the bigger picture. Always be high ground and big picture people. Can I get an amen? amen? Always take the higher ground and always walk in the bigger picture and always walk in agreement with the bigger picture and all the little details will start taking care of themselves. Don't start with micromanaging and try to run from the small picture up. Always start from the big picture down. Can I get an amen? See, that'll help you in life. And when we think big picture and, and, and higher ground, then all the smaller things start coming together. But if we get, uh, you know, picky uni, well, you know, I, I've heard churches that fought over the color of the carpet. Can you imagine that? Caused, caused church splits, caused families to be disrupted. Terrible things, financial shortfalls and, and horrible, uh, you know, strife 
in the church and terrible things like that. I, I am so thankful. Our church has been very united, and we've, we've been a very, how can I say, united and blessed church because uh, people have always stayed with the vision. Somebody say amen. So those are important things. And, you know, Joshua and Caleb, you know, there was just an agreeing, and so vision is so important. So that's, we got to, the vision is the, if I can say this, the vision is really the uniting force in a church. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The vision really unites us in purpose. It really unites us in cause. It really even unites us in laboring together. Amen. So let's go on to the captain. So the, the commission is the vision. It has a lot of things. We, we said that it really it can challenge our faith, it can change our life, and it can champion our obedience. It, it gives us a different... We go from uh, you know, one position... Uh, it changes our position, it changes our perspective, and it even changes our persona. It really is a thing that it unites us as a body of believers, and without a vision, we can perish. Now, number two, the captain's relationship to the commission. If you're a leader, let's say you're a department head, let's say you are a leader at work. These things apply not only to the church, but they apply to many things. If you are a leader in this church, I ask you to have four things for your department, four major goals, one for every quarter, for your department as you lead in this church. And in Habakkuk, it says, I will see what he will say to me. So the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to begin to seek God. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call upon me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Anytime you're leading, you need to be being led by God. See, the only way that Paul could say, follow me, the only way I could ever look into your eyes as a pastor and say, follow me, is if I know for sure I'm following the Lord. Because see, then really all you're doing is following the Lord. If you're following me and I'm following the Lord, all you're really doing is following the Lord with me in between you and the Lord. Does that make sense? So when you're a leader, you gotta be sure you're following the Lord. And you need to be following the Lord out of something he's revealed to you. That's why you call upon him and he says, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. You'll be like Habakkuk, and you'll sit on your watch, and you'll say, you know, I, I will see what he will say to me. Moses sought God on the mountain and received direction. And that's in Exodus 31. Did you know that Aaron was with the people, and he received wrong direction from the people? And Moses received from God the ultimate guidance when he received the Ten Commandments. He came down from the mountain, and there was Aaron, and he'd received the ultimate idolatrous misguidance from the people because the people said, make us a golden calf, Aaron, so we can bow down and worship like we used to do back in Egypt. And he did it. See what can happen if you're not, if you're not seeking the vision from God? You know, he, God provided great guidance to Moses to lead the people because he looked to God for guidance. You know, there are some leaders that look to the people for guidance. There's some pastors that are checking which way the wind is blowing to see what they're going to do next. Well, what will the people like? What do the people want? Well, see, then you can fall into that same pitfall that Aaron fell into. Aaron, it says he was down among the people. He was popular among the people. And the people rose up and said, Aaron, make us a calf. Build us a golden idol so that we can uh, go ahead and bow down and worship that. And we'll worship the gods that got us out of Egypt. And, and, and they started attributing that everything God had done to these false gods. And he was perfectly willing, and he looked to the people for his guidance, and they said, make us a golden calf, and Aaron made them a golden calf, and they fell into idol worship. And when Moses came back, he says, what's going on around here? We're having a false worship service. Everybody's dancing and, and singing, but it's not God's kind of music. And they're, they're worshiping something, but it's not God, it's a calf. 
They are taking up an offering and they're having a feast, but it's not a godly one. They rose up to play and, and sexual perversion was, is what's in, in, uh, insinuated in that whole thing. And, and, and so when you look to those below you to please them, you can never be a leader. You have to look to God and do what pleases him will cause you to be a true leader before God. Can I get an amen this morning? True leaders find their guidance from God. False leaders look to what's popular, like Aaron did. They look to the people. See, in the, in the, Old, in the New Testament, you know, the word Laodicean, that's that lukewarm group in the New Testament that in the book of Revelation, God said he'd spew him out of his mouth. Laodicean means ruled by the opinion of the laity. Laodicean, le, that Leo is where we get the word laity. Decean means to be ruled by. And so Laodicean means ruled by the opinions of the laity. Aaron was ruled by the opinion of the people to make that golden calf, just like the lukewarm church will be in the last days, and that's why God calls it a Laodicean church, a laity-driven or decision-making church. Instead of true leadership, like Moses when he was on the mountain, he got the Ten Commandments from God. That was a great vision to start out with was a moral foundation. Can I get an amen? And so if you're a leader or if you're following, anytime that you're in leadership, you need to be seeking God. Leadership in your job. I'll tell you what, you hear from God how to fix the problem at work, you're going to get promotion. Somebody say amen. I know Sister Price was an old saint in our church. She was 85 years old. She'd been in that church for 35 years. She said, I've never missed a Sunday morning. I have never missed a Wednesday night. I've never missed a Saturday night prayer. I've never missed a Sunday night service in 35 years. Wow. Talking about a faithful lady. Her brother was the general overseer of the Assemblies of God. She had another uncle who was a businessman. At work, he worked in a place, it wasn't Cloud, but it's a place that built valves. It was in Indianapolis. In this place, they had a problem with a valve, and he was a design engineer. And they couldn't figure out how to make this valve work a certain way. And old Brother Price started praying, and he started seeking God. Everybody say, seeking God. He started to seek God about it. And he was praying about it, and one night he had a dream. And in that dream, God showed him how to build that valve. He, he drew that out. He knew how to draw things. He, 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 was, he was an engineer, excuse me, and he drew that all out. He got it all prepared. He took it to work the next day. They built it. It worked. He became an instant multimillionaire overnight. When he, gave, when he gave them that design, when he gave that. He, they must not have had him patented under theirs. He must have been able to be a freelance design guy. But he became a multi and he solved the problem for everybody. How many of you know, if you hear from God, you can get promoted to work pretty fast. But also you need to hear from God if you're going to lead people. And so I don't care what the application is. Dads, you need to hear from God to take the family where it needs to go in life. You need to hear from God where you go to church. You need to hear from God where you send your kids to be educated. You need to hear from God how you're going to spend that money. You need to hear from God as to where you're going to live, where you're going to work, what you're going to do, how you're going to spend your life, and you're, because you're a leader. You're a leader of that household. You're the, you're the visionary. You're the Habakkuk. You're the Moses of your house. Somebody say amen. So we need to hear from God. We don't look to those underneath. We don't try to get popular. We don't try to you know, be the people's choice. We're not trying to win a popularity contest. We're not trying to be an Aaron and do what everybody wants. We're trying to do what God wants. 
It's so important that we understand that. So you write it down next. You seek God. You know, I will see what he'll say to me. Call upon me, I'll show you great mighty things. Moses received that guidance from God. Aaron was the absolute antithesis of a model. He looked at people. Write down and commit. Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2 says, write the vision down. Proverbs 16, 1, it says, commit a thing. You know, they had the vision. That's why Joshua said, this book of the law shall... See, he wrote it down. This book of the law shall not depart out of our mouth, but we'll meditate there in day and night. We may have observed to do according to all of it. Then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous. You shall have good success. See, then we begin to write it down. Dads, write down the vision for your household. Business owner, write down the vision for what you're doing. Department head, write down the vision. Foreman, write down the vision. Write down the, make a plan. Work your plan and plan, plan your work and work your plan. It's a godly principle that will expedite things and will cause you to go forward more rapidly in the in success that God wants for your life. The captain's relationship with the company. He is a communicator. Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2. It says, make it plain upon tables that he that readeth it may run with it. Make it plain. I don't know if I could make it any plain. When, I, when it comes to that time of the year, January, and we talk about vision, I make it plain. I keep it short and concise. I try to make it simple and understandable. And if you're in leadership, always write it down, make it plain, make sure people understand. Today, I'm making sure everybody understands these roles and what we're doing. And then, not only that, but Joshua, it says, I'm just going to read this one out of Joshua. This is really powerful. Then sometimes we have to remind each other of the vision. So I'm going to turn to Joshua, and we're going to look at some things there. And it's powerful how that he had to remind those people of where they were going and what they were doing. We all have to remind ourselves sometimes of what we're doing. And it's in Joshua, and it's in chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to this. He says, And remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. He also gave them rest. And notice he told them to get into faith. And he says, and take the land. Be in rest about it. Don't fear the giants. Don't fear the, the walled cities. Be at rest. I'm with you. He says, the Lord thy God is with thee. And so sometimes we've got to remind ourselves to be at rest, to be in faith. Don't try to do this in your own strength. Don't try to do anything in your own strength. If you're a leader, you can't do it in your own strength anyway. You need God to help you. And remember what God spoke to you. Now, God's not going to speak to you in an audible voice, but he can put impressions deep in your heart. And you can begin to follow him. And then begin to delegate. So number one, communicate. And then number two, delegate. Habakkuk 1, 1 and 2, it says, He that readeth it may run with it. He told him to run with it. Now, he probably just didn't go willy-nilly, any old way. Just run, just go. No. I think when he said, write the vision down, make it plain upon tables, that he really categorized it. He, he really had a flow chart. He really had things organized. And he, he wrote down the vision. And he made it plain upon tables so that he that readeth it may run with it. He gave job descriptions, I believe. I, I believe he gave them specific areas to be over. And I believe that you write it down and so that he that reads it may run with it. So in the general sense, they can. But then in some specific things, write it down so they can run with it. So they can do it. So it can be delegated out to those who are willing to go do what God has for them to do. So I think that's very important. Numbers 13, 1 through 5, he said, go spy out the land. That was the defining first step. He said, go and spy out the land and come back with a report. He gave them very specific things to do. 
when Moses gave the vision and he had the people. There's specific things. We need people to work in our nursery. We, we, we're, we're trying to form right now. John, Round's gonna for, John Round wants to form a, a team to, to do uh, co- concrete work over at the building. And, and there's just specific things that all are part and components of the, build, of the building and the vision and the outreaches and the things that we want to do for evangelism. Then thirdly, pray. So we communicate, we delegate, and we pray. Exodus 17, 10, 11. As long as Moses increased and interceded on the mountaintop by raising his hands, they were victorious. Now he sent Joshua down in the valley and says, go fight the enemy. And Moses went up on the top of the mountain and he raised his hand. And as long as his hands were raised, the people of God were victorious. Raising the hand is always, in the Hebrew culture, means praying to God. Communicating with God. As long as he had his hands raised, they won the battle. When his hands went down, guess what happened? They started to lose the battle. Read it. That's a powerful story, Exodus 17, verses 11 and 12. As the leader, you hear from God, you write it down, you communicate, you delegate, and then you pray over it at all times. That's my job. I, 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 God shows me, I pray, we delegate, we communicate, and we do these things and believe for God to help. Numbers 14, Moses prays for the grace and mercy of those who are against him. At some point, Moses, the people said, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to do this thing. We want to get a new leader. We, we want it. And Moses was so mad. He says, I could kill these guys. And he went through this thing. And or God, God said, I'm so mad I could kill these, these people. And Moses interceded and he said, no, God, didn't you say back there in the book of Exodus, didn't you tell me before that your mercy extends to three and four generations? And you know what, God, if you, if you were to allow these people all to die, you brought them out of Egypt, if you let them die now, all the heathens are going to say, see, that God isn't so big. He can't even bring his own people out, whip them into shape, and get them to do what he wants them to do. He says, there, you're going to be the laughingstock, God. And it's just unbelievable. It's in, it's in Numbers 14. He talks to God like that. And God says, I want to kill them all. And he says, no, don't do that. And he stands in the gap, and he prays for the people that maybe aren't helping with the vision and prays for them to see it and for God to have mercy. And God says, according to your word, I will forgive them. Wow, a leader has a lot of responsibilities. If you're a leader, you're going to have to pray for the people that are under you. You're going to have to pray for the people that jump on board and are good, and you're going to have to pray for the people that don't like it and don't want to help or don't want to be part. Uh, you, you say, well, that, well, you know, at work, how many of you know at work, that's not fun. Anybody been over somebody who doesn't want to do their job? Everybody, anybody ever been that person down in their job? We've all been in both of those positions, right? But the leader, he has to hear from God. He has to communicate. He has to delegate. He has to pray. He has to believe for those even who don't want to do it. Amen. Well, let's stand up. Next week, we're going to pick up, and we're going to talk about, lastly, the vision runners.